Hello and welcome to the NerdGoblin.com podcast. I'm Guy, and with me as always is Bill. This podcast is an extension of the NerdGoblin.com website, a website providing news, articles, and entertainment as it relates to nerd culture, including games, TV, movies, books, and comics. We want to thank you for tuning in and listening. We truly appreciate our fan support, and it's why everyone at NerdGoblin.com works so hard on the content we produce. Before we dive into this week's episode, please take a moment to visit us on social media, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our Twitter page. Liking and reviewing this podcast on the iTunes Store, SoundCloud, or wherever you download your podcast would be greatly appreciated. And please, share Nerd Goblin with your friends. So hey Guy, uh, we're back with our podcast, and uh, for the first thing that I want to just mention is that John Broussard, our our former teammate in this, is no longer going to be doing the podcast with us, and it's not like any kind of high drama or anything, but uh, everybody should realize that this is not a completely minimal time commitment, and following the fact that, like, you have, you know, two or three people involved in it, every additional person, it just makes coordinating uh, the timing of everything a lot harder, so nobody should read anything into this. Uh, John's still part of the uh, Nerd Goblin production he's just not doing the podcast with us anymore uh so guy uh we missed a couple weeks of since we've done our last podcast uh and hopefully we're going to be on like a more regimented schedule at least with there being only two of us it shouldn't be less of a problem i would think Uh, one of the last things we were talking about was the uh it was actually two podcasts ago was the we thought Glenn was killed, right? And everybody thought Glenn was dead, and we were uh, accounting for that. So I guess let's kick off, you know, with the notion that we're going to be talking about that this week. But due to the notion that we don't want to be giving away spoilers right away, let's kick that to the end of the episode. Guy, what would you uh, like to throw in here? What would you like to talk about today? Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll save that till the end. First up, though... There's a couple of Marvel topics that I wanted to bring up, and, you know, we've talked about them a little bit in passing uh, over the past week, but two in particular. Of course, number one, Jessica Jones. Uh, We've both been watching that, and I don't think either one of us have gotten completely caught up with all uh, 12 episodes. But before we go to that, I wanted to point out that I recently saw the latest Civil War movie trailer, and I know you said you saw it too. Being a fan of the comic books... When I saw the trailer for the first time, I was a little, uh, I don't know, concerned, I guess you could say, in how they're presenting this movie. What do you mean by that? Well, in the comic book series, it's entire arcing storyline that takes into account pretty much every character from the Marvel Universe. You know, it heavily relies on the Avengers, of course, like we'll see in this movie, but also characters from the Fantastic Four, characters from the X-Men universe, lots of villains, a number of characters that don't seem like they're going to be represented in this movie at all. And I wonder if that's going to be to the detriment of the quality of the film. For example, in the comic book series, in the original story which is a seven-part comic book miniseries is what it's called, I guess. Mr. Fantastic is really important in that he joins the pro-superhero registration side, along with Tony Stark and Hank Pym. Now, of course, we know that in the Marvel Universe, uh, movie universe, or cinematic universe, uh, well, the Fantastic Four are owned. Hold on a right? second, hold on a second. Let's, let's clarify this. When you say the pro-registration side, like that's the... Uh, sort of uh, nefarious, uh, controlling, uh, I don't want to say Nazi, but almost like fascist uh, aspect that maybe even has like a current corollary to the whole NSA surveillance thing. But like, that's the side that wants the heroes to, you know, the heroes and anybody with powers 
to act to have to register with the government. Yeah, maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself, actually. I suppose it's possible that people listening to this don't understand what the story is really going to be about. You know, quite frankly, if all you've seen about it is the trailer, you probably don't understand what this story is about, because the trailer really doesn't explain it too well. Basically, the overarching theme of this story is that certain factions within the Marvel Universe want superheroes to be registered with the government and then other factions are vehemently opposed to this idea of registration they want to keep their identities a secret they don't want to essentially be employees of the state against their own will so we have these two factions now of tony stark being the main one along with in the as i was saying comic book series mr fantastic of the fantastic four and hank pym of course ant-man are on the pro-registration side they want all of the heroes to come out of the underdark or underworld or whatever you want to call it basically come out in the open well, underdark, then we that's have a different that's a different genre right we're, we're not in D land yeah, exactly. Uh, and and then, of course, you have the Captain America side, which uh, includes, you know, a number of characters that want to keep their identities a secret, that are, are that are concerned that if they expose themselves, they're also exposing their friends, family, and loved ones. Um, you know, you get the idea of what's going on there. So anyway, my, I guess my point is I'm concerned that without all of these other characters, not the we- least of which includes a number of villains in the world that play an important role in this storyline, not being in it, it feels like it's just going to be a squad if you will, between a small group of the Avengers. I mean, I don't know, you saw you saw the trailer, and not being as familiar with the background story, what was your takeaway from it? Well, first of all, correct, I'm not that familiar with the background story. We had talked uh, a long time ago about, I, I was interested in reading it, and, you know, at first my impression was like, okay, I'll just go pick up a couple of comic books, or I'll go pick up, uh, you know, a collection, you know, in a graphic novel kind of thing, and uh, you, you know, pointed me in the direction that it's not really that simple. That, like, if I wanted to read, like, one, you know, group or one character's part of the story arc of Civil War, that'd be fine. I could just go read that character, you know, the Avengers or, you know, whoever, uh, Captain America, etc., Spider-Man. But the, the real thing about this story is that it affects literally every aspect of the Marvel Universe. Well, almost every. I think there's some major ones that are left out. Uh, even in the comics, Thor, if I'm not mistaken, is a part of it. But the, the point of the matter is that, like, in order to actually read the full story arc across the entire Marvel Universe, uh, you would have to, like, actually put some effort. You were guiding me, and, like, you have to look up. There's lists online as to what the or- the reading order, I think that's the way you put it, is in order to, like, have everything you know, make the most sense and be the most uh, contiguous story possible. Yeah, yeah, let me add two cents in there real quick. The The main story arc is, as I had briefly mentioned, it's a seven-issue miniseries. You could read just that, and you'll get the gist of what's going on. All of the really important plot points of the story are focused on in this seven-issue miniseries, aptly named Civil War. But like you mentioned, it does span over every just about every single comic book that marvel published over that time period so if you wanted to read more about spider-man's role within the civil war storyline you had to read several spider-man titles or what the x-men were doing you know you had to read all the x-men titles so yeah it could i want to say be somewhere around like 75 or 80 maybe individual issues that encompass the whole thing if you really wanted to read it all now i'm going to want to come back to this point because it's an important one that you're mentioning this and i think it affects a lot about how this movie's going to be produced how it's going to be perceived especially by fans of the comics as opposed to fans 
probably more like myself, who really uh, gained their fandom strictly through the Marvel Cinematic Universe success and all the, the wonderful movies they've made. But so the question you asked me was, you know, what I thought of the trailer. I mean, probably the most gripping image from the trailer was Bucky and Captain America laying what appeared to be a pretty brutal beatdown on, on Iron Man. I mean, he, he was getting his butt handed to him in, in that, I don't know, six-second scene. Uh, so, you know, you pointed out that, like, you thought it was a squabble, and I would say, I would I would point out that scene as an argument against it being a mere squabble. I mean, that wasn't, uh, you know, a play. That wasn't a playtime. That wasn't, like, love taps, you know, a very few people, let alone heroes, ever visibly get killed in Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, I mean, we could even look at like how the last two major Avenger movies uh, were both populated by villains who were essentially robots. But, you know, there's the potential for something bad to happen here. Uh, absolutely. As far as the rest of the trailer, I mean, they hinted at Black Widow uh, basically being you know, an antagonist or to Captain America in this, but it, I wasn't really sold on it. Like, it was sort of still, like, it, it gave me that, like, but we're friends, like, don't make me do this kind of thing, rather than, like, you know, pure business, you know, violence and, and such. But I, I suppose maybe that's, you know, we don't want to see too much in the trailers. We prefer to go see the movie. Um, the other thing that really, I guess, struck me uh, in a positive way was seeing Black Panther, T'Challa, in, in, in the trailer for this. A, you know, was represented and portrayed at least visually exactly like I suppose I expected him to be and in terms of, you know, whatever my familiarity with him, which is honestly mostly through uh, the Marvel Heroes video game, but it really, mm -hmm. it sold it to me, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm excited to see him. I think the only thing that crossed my mind is this is like the first hero that we're going to see play, a, you know, a somewhat major role in a movie that had no prior introduction or no prior uh, movie of his own. Wouldn't you, uh, th did that strike you? Did that, do you think that's something significant? You know, I'm trying to think, like, right as you brought that up, I'm, you know, thinking to myself, have they injected a hero like that without some sort of previous setup before? I can't think of any off the top of my head. I guess you're right. Um, you know, side note about the Black Panther thing. I don't know if you saw it in the news this past week. He was on the cover along with uh, Iron Man and Captain America of, I believe it was Entertainment Weekly. I think was the magazine in any event there was all kinds of outrage i guess because the people were complaining that the cover was racist because they like didn't feature him prominently enough and i don't know there was some sort of text or something like like a little word bubble or something above him that said meow i, I don't remember there was some sort of goofy internet outrage about it being racist though uh, you know, people are always going to find something to complain about. And that's not to say that there may not be genuine, you know, concerns about that sort of topic. But, you know, from a from a fan of the genre, from a fan of the movies, and from a want-to-be fan of the comics, you know, I'm just going to point out what I just said. He hasn't been introduced yet. He's a new character. How can any sort of prominence really be made about him? Uh, you know, most most people who go to see this movie, I'm guessing, are not comic fans. I mean, I'm guessing that pool of of people has to be much larger than, than, you know, the actual comic fans, right? Well, sure. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. A typical comic book might sell a hundred or 200,000 issues on any given month. Uh, so I'm guessing a lot more than 200,000 people are going to go see this movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's not the case. The movie isn't going to do very well. And, you know, from what we've seen, these movies have historically done, you know, at least well, if not very well. Yeah. We expect it to be close to if not a billion dollar movie right yeah yeah 
But, I mean, here's, here's, I guess, what I really didn't touch on when I started this conversation with you is, you know, there's, there's aspects of the trailer that lead us to believe that Bucky is the reason that this idea of superhero registration is currently going into effect. I mean, they don't come out and say it in the trailer at all. Maybe maybe it's just the fact that there's superheroes with powers running around in general, because uh, Captain America was talking to, I don't know, some, some important person. I don't know what role the person played, but somebody that said, you know, people look at you like you're vigilantes. So maybe it's a combination of some terrible things that the Winter Soldier did along with the fact that there's just human weapons running around. But in the comic book story, which I thought was way more poignant... It all started because there was a group, what were they called? The New Warriors. There was a superhero group, total C-list group called the New Warriors, that in, in this story arc are, it's, it's really kind of silly actually, they're superheroes that do it through like a reality TV perspective. So they're going to where they know some villains are hiding out and their producer is watching through the camera and he's giving them cues and what to do and whatnot. And they end up fighting these supervillains. And one of the villains is, and I use the term supervillains, again, they're a bunch of C-list villains that nobody's probably heard of, but this one villain, Nitro, is fighting with them and his ability is apparently to explode. So he destroys an entire town uh, where they're hiding out somewhere in Connecticut. And that's ultimately what sparked it. I mean, just outrage and protest from the general public and then the government. And, you know, it, it kind of escalates how you would think it would. That doesn't seem to be represented in this at all. And I thought that that was a much more compelling way to start this than, I mean, what what I've seen from the trailer anyway. Yeah, well, I don't know anything about that aspect of it. I, like I, we mentioned before, I haven't read the original comics, but uh, some things that I've been paying attention to uh, probably a little bit more than you have. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I've still been keeping up with that show. Mm-hmm. And um, it's definitely an obvious underlying plot moving forward in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, specifically... You know, they have the various characters and agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that uh, are have sort of like low-level powers. Not the mutants. What are they called? Help me out here. Inhumans. The Inhumans. Thank you. So they have the Inhumans on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And basically, S.H.I.E.L.D. and this other agency are gathering up Inhumans. And there's competing methodologies and ideologies and philosophies on how to gather them up and how to track them and how to deal with them. And you could see that it's going to come to a head in that series. And it's very obvious from watching the series as well as reading the backstory comments about like the production of it how like the intention of agents of shield is basically to tie in to whatever the latest greatest marvel cinematic universe movies are that that current year i mean we saw it happen last year with uh the the captain america or actually it was two years ago with the captain america movie uh, where the, the helicarrier came down. We saw it last year with uh, Sokovia falling from the sky. Constant references are being made to this. And I think it's just part of this underlying building plot where the world is tiring of these major events happening and there's always these enhanced people, these mutants, inhumans, you know, uh, technologically geared heroes that are somehow in the backdrop of it. Um, you know, and the most recent one with, you know, Sokovia falling out of the sky and, uh, you know, basically Tony Stark is responsible for that indirectly, even though he's the he- part of the hero team that stops it, he's still behind it. So we have the world tiring of all of this and, you know, I guess we just don't want to see it, uh, you know, if I'm a normal person and we're going to relate this to the sort of obvious corollary of the, the war on terror, 
is that there's this notion that we can go maybe too far in both ends of it. We can go too far in trying to, you know, combat terror. And we see, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be had there. We're not a political site, so I don't want to get into it. But there's a lot of valid arguments to be had in the ways in which we've maybe gone too far in the war on terror, whether it's, you know, uh, controlling our freedoms or the violence that we project against our enemies and the collateral damage that it, that it causes. Uh, and you see the sort of corollary with the, the Marvel Universe in the Civil War storyline and as it builds up to it. So I think that, you know, they're definitely pulling something out of real life there, and they're also, fall at the same time, they're falling back on their own lore. Now, as far as how they're not able to, and this is what I wanted to get back when I mentioned, uh, what I wanted to get back to when I mentioned much earlier. So we have limited time and space in the actual movie. I mean, we're not going to have a four-hour movie. I mean, I, I don't know how long the movie's supposed to be, but I bet anything that it's going to be at least two hours, and it could very easily approach three. But the bottom line is it's limited, and we only have so much screen time to offer different characters. And every, you know, in order to really pay homage to the story and the original comic, we'd have to include so many characters, so many heroes, so many villains, so many little micro storylines as they play into it, that I think just pragmatism is what's uh, ending to, you know, leading towards this problem that you're mentioning. You know, that we're not seeing the full scope that in the comics it was this universe affecting in the entire Marvel universe the storyline affected everybody and you know from the smallest characters to the biggest characters and in this movie we're not really going to be able to see that and I'm going to suggest that it's really just a matter of pragmatism and time and you know another angle of the pragmatism thing is that most people again and we mentioned this are not familiar with the full scope of Marvel heroes and Marvel villains and that to just suddenly introduce them, like they're doing with Black Panther, places uh, a challenge, maybe, on the, the average viewer. Like, it's like, hey, here's this new person, here's this new hero, here's this new villain. Uh, pay no attention to the fact that we've never introduced him or mentioned him or referred to him before. Just, you know, go with the flow kind of thing. And I think you can only get away with so much of that before it kind of just makes the movie all over the place and hard to follow. That would be my explanation for that. The, uh, you know, the first thing I thought of when they announced this movie, which was when, I guess maybe was it at a Comic-Con two years ago? I guess it doesn't matter. The first thing that came to mind was, how are they going to tell this story in a single Captain America movie? I felt like they were really going to be trying to squeeze too much in. Uh, and I guess, you know, it, as it looks like it's turning out, is they're just, they're not going to tell the whole story. They're just going to tell it from that certain perspective, probably mainly from Captain America's perspective, like you had mentioned, along with, uh, you know, the rest of the Avengers for both pragmatic reasons and, you know, that they don't own the rights to the characters that are also critically important to the storyline. I mean, one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I'd mentioned this to you earlier, was that Spider-Man originally joins Tony Stark's side and unmasks and says, like, I'll register and I'm Peter Parker and I no longer have a secret identity. And then eventually, uh, Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four, builds this jail in the negative zone meant to hold the heroes that refused to register. And when Peter Parker saw that they were going to do that, he was like, no, never mind, I'm out. And he switched over to Captain America's side. We're not obviously going to get that part of the story because there is no Mr. Fantastic in this. We are led to believe that they're going to integrate Spider-Man somehow, but to what capacity is still up in the air. But, you know, there's a lot of things like that. And, you know, something you had mentioned to me earlier, villains 
played an important role in this during the comic book story in that the government was using groups of villains to go hunt the heroes that were refusing to register. I'm guessing we're probably not going to get a super wide sense of how that's going to go either. And, you know, I get it. they got to squeeze so much into a two-hour-long movie. I'm just a little let down that it's not going to be as awesome as I was hoping for, you know? Well, a couple of things. I mean, the the first thing is, so you mentioned Spider-Man, and in talking about what I thought of the trailer, I mean, probably that's right up there with the other two uh, dramatic scenes that I mentioned, you know, seeing Black Panther and seeing Iron Man getting beaten down by Bucky and Cap was the lack of Spider-Man in the trailer. I mean, anybody who's following this, and I don't expect anybody, anybody to know about it, but anybody who's been looking forward to Marvel Civil War and looking forward to the seeing the trailers come out has been following the uh, whole sort of, you know, behind the scenes subplot that uh, Marvel and Sony had come to an agreement about the use of Spider-Man in Marvel films, and we were supposed to uh, expect to see Spider-Man in this. And if I'm not mistaken, there's even an IMDb listing for a cast member playing Spider-Man in the movie, but yet we haven't seen any kind of uh, visual of him uh, in terms of trailers or leaks or anything like that. And, and that's probably the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is getting to see Spider-Man reunited with the uh, rest of the Marvel Universe. Now, do you think he's going to be uh, a little more comic relief than we're used to seeing in the Avengers uh, type of movies? Or do you think he's going to be a little more serious in this? I'm not even sure what to expect, to be completely honest. I hesitate to speculate because I want—I just want it to be good. Spider-Man being probably my favorite Marvel character. Yeah, so now, uh, and you know, another thing that you were just talking about is how the movie isn't going to really be able to do proper justice to this story. And it's kind of been the overarching theme of what we're talking about in terms of ex- our expectations of, of Civil War. Now, I mean, I'm not a movie producer, right? I mean, I, I'm a fan. And I, the only thing I could say is they're probably not doing the storytelling aspect of this, of Civil War, uh, the proper justice by including it in only one movie. So you mentioned how, like, you expected it, you know, you were surprised. How is it going to be covered in only one film? I suppose when I first heard about it, I was expecting it to be either uh, a sequel you know, uh, Civil War One and Two, and I mean, I kind of felt like it was really lined up really well for it, uh, given the the gravity of the the whole plot line and and the potential outcomes here. You know, without offering any spoilers, I mean, I am aware of how this is supposed to end in the comics for certain characters, and it doesn't have to be good. Um, but I guess if I were doing it, if if I were in charge of uh, Marvel's Mega Bucks, I probably would have told this story the similar way that they told it in their comics, and that is made like a Captain America Civil War, or make an Iron Man Civil War, or make a Spider-Man Civil War, or, or something along those lines, and tell the story from maybe different angles and different perspectives, and that could have been interesting. But, you know, I suppose they feel like they, you know, they want to get on to bigger and better things, and they don't want to spend too much time on this. I mean, if anything, I suppose what I'm really looking forward to, and I haven't heard any hint of it yet, is to see the Skrull storyline in uh, in the Marvel Universe. That could be pretty well done. I think you hit the nail right on the head. I suspect that they just want to move along with as many different stories as they possibly can, and they don't want to sit on this for you know what would probably amount to like five years, because how many movies do they put out per year? Two, three, something like something that? Something like that. Um, you know realistically if they were going to tell that story over the course of the majority of their movies along with maybe some main centralized movie yeah i have to imagine it would take four or five years and that really throws off what they're already doing as far as like the infinity 
gem gauntlet storyline that they've been building up with the Thanos character through the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and the original Avengers movie. I'm guessing they just want to move on into that more cosmic storyline. So they're probably just trying to, I don't know, throw this out there for the fans and to make a few bucks, I guess. I mean, I don't know, you know, what, what their thought process is, but certainly it seems like you're right that they don't want to sit on their laurels and drag this out for too terribly long. Yeah, so, I mean, maybe we've played out, you know, talking about this trailer and talking about the movie. We're both excited about it. A, a number of fans certainly are. And then, you you know, you have the vanilla Marvel fan who really didn't know this storyline existed and is just going to go see whatever Marvel puts in the theaters any given year. And, you know, as long as we're not disappointed anytime soon, we should probably expect every, you know, additional Marvel movie to be just as wonderful and exciting as all the previous ones have been. All of that said, there was part two of the Marvel topic that I wanted to talk about, and honestly, I didn't expect the Civil War discussion to go so long, so I thought we were just going to jump into this earlier, but nevertheless, Jessica Jones, a series that has followed the original Marvel Netflix Daredevil series, uh, you know, I personally had a lot of anticipation for this, I'm pretty sure you did too. Since you're a few episodes ahead of me, tell people what you think. Wow. Okay. So first of all, uh, I've watched up through, I don't know, maybe episode eight or nine already. I mean, I think it was released on November 20th. So, you know, I haven't exactly been binge watching it, but I've, you know, I've been watching at least an episode a day for the last several days. Now, I guess my honest impression of it is I'm enjoying it. I feel compelled to watch, uh, you know, each episode. I look forward to watching it again every day. Uh, certainly when I watch more than one, uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to put it down. You know, some of the subplots and some of the twists and turns that the series takes are definitely compelling. Now, that said, it is not as good as Daredevil in any comparable way. No, not even close, is it? No, I mean... In any manner that you want to compare it in, the acting, the storytelling, the plot line, the action, I mean, probably the only thing that's very comparable is the cinematography and the technical aspects, uh, you know, of the filming itself are, seem to be very similar and, and good, right? But, you know, everything else about it is inferior to Daredevil. And in saying that, I don't want to say that it's quote unquote bad, because like I said, I'm enjoying watching it. I guess that, you know, maybe I'm just being unfair. Maybe Daredevil hit such a high note and raised the bar so high that to expect it to match that is maybe just not really fair. I was expecting something as good as Daredevil, to be honest. And yeah, I suppose you could say it's not fair, but you just have to assume like, well, they had the formula, you know, just follow the formula and and make another show just like that, but with a different character. And they're doing a lot of things differently in this show. The one thing, well, not the one thing, but one of the things that sort of annoys me about this show is that hard-boiled detective noir thing they do when Jessica is narrating over the video. Oh, yeah. (gasps) I'm not a fan, you know? I mean, it doesn't ruin it or anything, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm just not into that. They were just trying to give it its own flavor, and I picked up on that right away, too. And not in necessarily a positive way like yourself. But no, I didn't hate it. I just thought, like, really? I, I don't know. I felt like they're trying too hard in that in that regard. I don't know. I, I suppose, you know, from Daredevil, what were the things that really sold you on Daredevil? What were the things that made it gripping? I mean, for me, I'm going to say it was really three things. The first is the action. The action was 
for television, it was just ridiculous. And I guess we're going to call, by the way, we're going to call Netflix TV for these purposes. But it was ridiculously good. And, you know, it's like along the lines of something that really hasn't been seen before in terms of the choreography and the believability and the intensity of the action. And I'm going to say the other two things were Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio. And they both just really sold it for me. Um, I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio deserves awards for his performance of Kingpin in Daredevil. And now if we're going to compare what I just mentioned to Jessica Jones, I'm not going to say, I don't even know the actor's name who plays, um, oh my God, what's his name? Is it Kilgrave. Yeah, Kilgrave? See, here we go. I'm having a hard time remembering his name because he's not that potent of a character. Yeah, his uh, his real name is uh, something Tennant. Uh, I can't. Oh, remember David his Tennant. First name. Is it David Tennant? Yeah, uh, sure. It could be Steve Tennant. For yeah, all Steve I know, Tennant. I know he played. Uh, I know he played one of the Doctor Who's, and that seems to be his claim to fame. Okay, but... so there there it is. He's reaching a a part of Nerd Goblin's audience in in a way that I'm personally not a part of. But so I get that a little bit better. But no, I didn't. Uh, the whole character of Kilgrave is not as potent as Kingpin. Number one, he's not as well known. Kingpin reaches into beyond uh, Daredevil's universe, right? Kingpin reaches into you know Spider-Man at, at minimum. Uh, yeah, Spider-Man. He's also a big part of the Punisher's world. Basically, any of those lower-level or what I like to call street-level heroes, he's definitely a big part of all of those stories. Now that said, Kilgrave's power set is far beyond the reach of Kingpin's. So Jessica Jones is facing a much more powerful villain. And I mean, just for anybody who's not watching, Kilgrave has the uh, basically this perfect power of suggestion that if you hear him in person tell you to do something, it could be anything, you are compelled to do it. Uh, so this is a very dangerous, I mean, if you start using your imagination, it's a very dangerous and potent power set for a villain to have. But that said... Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's portrayal of Kingpin uh, and the character development that they showed Kingpin go through. Like, he was almost sympathetic when you're first introduced to him. You know, you don't really get the feel that Kingpin is a supervillain or some kind of major villain when you first come to grips with him. He's maybe at best a corrupt, uh, quasi-gangster, quasi-politician type of guy. Whereas Kilgrave is just, you know, uh, a badass, do whatever I want, you know, throw the bodies to the wayside kind of villain. Now, let me ask you this, though, since you're a little bit further ahead of me. I mean, I got that, too, that the Kilgrave character was just not as interesting as Kingpin. But to be honest, my thought there was they really haven't given me a whole lot of him yet. I'm on episode six, I believe, and he was just previously in the the episode that I watched quite a bit. But up until that point, like, I, I hadn't seen him hardly at all, whereas Kingpin's, I don't know, I think he was in almost every single episode, or, you know, maybe 75% of them, at least enough that he had a really important parts. I was uh, under the impression, or at least the assumption, that they were going to start building up Kilgrave's character much more, but being halfway through, it seems like they've barely even scratched the surface on him, and they're trying to keep him more of, like, this mysterious villain that you don't really know anything about. I mean, I don't know, you being a few few episodes ahead of me, uh, you know, do they start developing him more, or is it, do they still keep on that same train without offering any spoilers and there are no major spoilers really i i would say to be had yet but without you know spoiling it for you any or any listeners i would say yes they absolutely do develop him more and you do get more screen time and they do sort of play around with the audience emotion and perspective of his character but not in the same way as kingpin i mean looking back at kingpin 
I was, like I said, I was kind of sympathetic towards him. He was almost likable. Part of it is because Vincent D'Onofrio did such a great job. Another part of it is because really kind of when you're introduced to him, he's falling in love with a woman and it's just sort of, uh, there's this romance to it. There's this likability. Like you see his soft side. You're introduced to the soft side and then you really don't get the, the hardcore stuff from Kingpin until very late and even the final episode of the series. Whereas you're introduced to Kilgrave at least uh, in a descriptive way from the other characters, in a really horrific way. And then, you know, the first couple interactions with him are, are equally uh, disturbing uh, at, at best. So, yeah, they, they, they uh, start telling you more about him. You see more about the character. The character develops. Uh, I'm definitely starting to like the actor more, but it's not on the same level of D'Onofrio. But then the other part of it for me is the actual, you know, Jessica Jones character herself. Um, I mean, maybe it's as simple as part of it, as she's, her demeanor is just always, like, surly. She's like surly girl, constantly. She's never happy, she never smiles, she never cracks a joke. She's just always bitter and angry, and I get that that's part of the character, but maybe in a subconscious kind of way it's rubbing off on me and I'm not enjoying it as much. Or maybe guy, maybe I'm just a misogynist and I can't handle a female superhero. I mean, I, I don't want to admit that that's it. I'd like to think it isn't, but maybe that is. I mean, I don't know if you remember this. We talked about it in a previous podcast going back probably a couple months ago now. We were discussing our uh, expectations for this series, and I had, you know, we were talking about the actress, and I, I don't remember if it as you or John, but somebody said something like, I don't really know anything about this actress. And I had mentioned like, um, actually, I don't know, what's her first name? Is it is it Michelle Ritter? Something Ritter. Regardless, I was like, oh, I've seen her in a few few movies, but she always plays the bitchy friend. And it, she's still kind of just the bitchy friend in this too. It seems like she's playing the same, like maybe that's just who she is. I don't know. But I, yeah, she's always surly and angry and she just has a sour attitude. Um, I don't know. It doesn't bother me though. I mean, I like her. I actually am growing more fond of her friend uh the character trish actually she seems to be to developing into a i don't want to say more interesting character than jessica but her character is becoming more interesting to me as the series goes on i I mean for me some of the most uh i don't want to say exciting because that's not true the the actual action scenes that they do portray and the development of the plot lines and, and that sort of thing is definitely the excitement of the interesting part of the series. But I was very interested when they introduced Luke Cage, and they did that very early. And to anyone familiar with the comic genre and world, you knew it was Luke Cage visually before they called him Luke, you know? I mean, I think it was several episodes after they introduced him where they refer to him as Luke. Yeah, but you immediately knew, like, ah, oh, big, giant, muscly, uh, muscly black dude. Like, obviously that's Luke Cage, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was absolutely thrilled, you know, for the introduction of him. And I'm definitely looking forward to his uh, standalone series coming to Netflix whenever that is in the next year or so, I'd imagine. But uh, I don't want to, you know, create the wrong impression. I It's not that I dislike the Jessica Jones character. She's absolutely the protagonist. She's absolutely the character that you're rooting for in the series. But yeah, Trish. So, you know, I was, I was curious in watching this because there are a couple side characters that not being familiar with the comics of, you know, basically Luke Cage and, you know, Jessica Jones and these street-level heroes, uh, is, is Trish someone that develops into a character? Is that someone that becomes someone significant? I have no idea. I've never heard of her before the TV series, to be honest. Okay. Uh, whether or not she exists in the comic books or whether they just made her for the TV show is 
you know, I, I like I said, I don't know. Yeah, so without giving you a spoiler, I'm also wondering the same thing about Officer Simpson, Sergeant Simpson. Uh, if he becomes something more than just this, like, sort of corollary plot character. Because, with, again, without spoiling, a sort of... There's a marvelization of his character, let's just put it that way, later in the series. No, you don't You don't recall anything about him? I'm thinking... No, I don't think so. I mean, this character, Jessica Jones, is a relatively new character. She was created by, uh... What's his name? Writer. Has written a lot of really good stuff for Marvel. Uh, Bendis, Michael Bendis, maybe you've heard that name before. Yeah, sure. I, I want to say he created this character only in the early 2000s. I mean, she hasn't been around for that that long. And my only experience with her in comic books, she, she had a comic book series of her own called Alias, which of course they use the name Alias for her investigation company in the TV series. I never read that, but there was a series that uh, Bendis wrote called New Avengers and she as well as Luke who w- were already married at this point in the storyline were both part of the New Avengers team Oh my god you just spoiled Woman. it they get married uh now I don't now oh, yeah. I don't want to watch the rest of it I know how it ends <laughs> Oh well you know that's well, that's what happens in the comics anyway so yeah they they're part of this New Avengers group along with like I said Spider-Woman uh, I think Spider-Man um, Wolverine, maybe, Captain America, a couple of characters, a lot of non-typical Avengers, though. And, you know, that's my only experience with them. That main storyline deals with uh, the scrolls, which you had mentioned earlier, and everyone is just paranoid that somebody else is a shape-shifted scroll and nobody trusts anybody. It's actually a really good storyline that he wrote. But yeah, other than that, my experience with the character, and for that matter, with Luke Cage even, in comics, is very, very minimal. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm enjoying watching it. I'm definitely looking forward to watching it every single day. I recommend it to anybody interested in, honestly, just good TV. It's a recommended thing to watch. But it's a different recommendation to, say, uh, Daredevil or Game of Thrones or maybe there's something else. But, like, those two series in particular, like, anybody interested in... I don't know, let's just call it nerd TV, right? Anybody that has an interest in this nerd TV genre, like, I would call Daredevil and Game of Thrones must-see TV. Like, you must see it. Uh, you, the Drop whatever you're doing, like, whatever you, like kind of like thing you're watching in the background now, whatever your interests are, like, start redirecting them on Daredevil and Game of Thrones. Like, those are the most intense things on television in the last several years, and maybe ever in my opinion, and I think I'm not the only one with that opinion. Whereas with Jessica Jones, I just say it's good TV. In kind of the same way that I feel that Gotham is good TV, but also in the same kind of way that, if I'm being honest, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not good TV. I sort of watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just to, I don't know, I feel addicted to it, but I don't enjoy it. I feel dirty when like, I'm done watching it after every episode, as opposed to like Jessica Jones. I could quasi-binge watch it. Where, now to compare Dare- to Daredevil, I mean, once I started getting into it, I might have watched the entire series in a matter of days. Whereas Jessica Jones is probably going to take me in, you know, the rest of the week uh, at, at minimum. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I'm enjoying it as well, but... I, I'm never compelled to watch more than one episode at a time. I watch one episode, you know, they're long, 50-some-odd minutes or whatever, and I never click watch the next one. Uh, so I've been watching about one per day, maybe not every single day even. But, you know, it's not because I don't enjoy it. It's just 
there's nothing really hanging at the end that's like, oh my god, I gotta see what happens next. That probably has a lot to do with okay, it. Okay, you want something to leave you with, uh, and I don't want to give a, a spoiler, but I'll give you the path to the spoiler. If you want to have something to look forward to, at quote-unquote, at the end, read the uh, encapsulated uh, sort of story rundowns that Netflix gives if you look at the uh, list of all the episode, if you look at the episode list, and read the very last episode rundown. And I'm really looking forward to see what they mean by that. And again, I don't want to give a spoiler. You could, you know, go get the spoiler on your own if you'd like to and, and deal with it that way. But I, read it and tell me if you're still interested in seeing it to the end a little bit more than you are now. Now, if I read it out of order, I, I, meaning that I haven't watched the last episode, is it going no, to no, matter? No, it's not going to ruin anything to, to you in terms of the, the plot line. It just okay. Don't read all the ones in the middle. Just read the very last one, because the ones in the middle might spoil it. Gotcha. Now, there's one thing that you brought up, and we haven't even really talked about this yet, but this is kind of big for me. The action choreography sequences, the the energy of the action scenes it's not there by i want to say by comparison to daredevil but honestly by comparison to most tv shows like it's it's weak there was a i don't know what it was episode four i think right there spoiler if you haven't seen it but we're probably past that already and in episode four like this woman kind of tricks jessica and lures her into this building and then threatens to kill her because like the lady just hates superheroes and superpowered beings it had nothing to do with Kilgrave. it was kind of a goofy episode and storyline both me and my wife were like um that was weird when it was over in any event jessica like has this pseudo temper tantrum and she's like ripping the walls apart and throwing things and i mean i'm watching this and i'm like i don't buy it like she doesn't look like a powerful person and, you know, whenever there's any sort of fights, which, to be fair, so far, there really hasn't been a whole lot of fighting. Again, it's it's very weak. It's not, you know, I don't want to say violent, like, violence is a good thing, but I want it to be believable. And, you know, don't I'm not some sort of unarmed combat commando that knows everything there is to know about fighting. But, like, you know, when I see it, I know, right? And I just, I'm not seeing it with this. I, I, I can't really put my finger on why they would not make that aspect of it really good when that's something that's so inexpensive as far as like special effects and and things of that nature go like you, you know having really good strong compelling uh fight scenes and action scenes like that's the easiest thing to do i would assume uh, as opposed to like having to worry about 3d effects and you know explosions and fire and all of that stuff they just missed the mark in my opinion okay so i have two very distinct thoughts on this and they're they're, they're somewhat a little all over the place. Let me answer your sort of point first. Now, I agree with you. To a certain extent, I agree with you. And I think part of it is expectation from Daredevil. I think part of it is, you know, and as it relates to Daredevil, Daredevil relied on martial arts. Like, Daredevil, uh, the hero, his thing was, uh, essentially, he was a martial artist, right? So, they portrayed that by having actual martial arts scenes. And that made it believable. So with Jessica Jones, she's not a skilled combatant, number one. Her power is she's really, really, really strong. Number two, her visual appearance is not at all menacing. I mean, she's, um, you know, just a, a, a thin, a, a thin, attractive girl. Um, you know, so she doesn't really convey that sense of power visually. So the only way that they have to convey it 
are these sort of subtle and some not so subtle um, sort of visual cues like of her crushing things and smashing things and punching things and bending things and uh, jumping and, you know, things of that nature. Like that's okay. This tells the, the watcher that, hey, Jessica Jones is really strong because no, no normal person could do these things. Now, as far as the actual action... But let me actually jump in there real quick, and I'll offer this uh, counterpoint. Spider-Man is not trained in any sort of fighting style, and all he is is really strong. He's kind of a thin, waifish character, really, but it's still convincing when he fights Doc Ock or whoever, right? Uh, so you're partial... I'm going to partially agree with you here, too. Yes, it's certainly convincing. But while he's not a quote-unquote martial artist, he's almost got his, like, spider-foo thing, right? He's, like, really agile and can dodge everything, and they convey that aspect of it very well. And for what it's worth, that's all done with CGI. Like, that's not an actor jumping and flipping and, and dodging around. So, like, what are we talking about here? I mean, that Jessica Jones' power set is really just limited to strength. Well... Well, here's here's a really simple example, I guess. There was the scene where the creepy guy was hitting on Trish at a bar or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. He said some really crude things, and she's like, she's like, okay, let's do the strength test game, and it's like it's like a like a speed bag pops down, you punch it, and it tells you how many pounds of force you hit it with or whatever. I mean, she throws the punch, and I mean, it looks, you know, I hate to say it because it sounds sexist, it looks like a girl throwing a punch, right? Like there's no believability that there's any sort of power behind it whatsoever. Like I understand that she's not trained, but it's should still look like it's a powerful punch you know uh, see that that's just it there i i think i think this is uh sort of the distinction here they're trying to maintain the notion that she's and here we go with the misogyny again she's gonna fight like a girl but she's got the she's really really strong so like what difference does it make if her punch is awkward or not uh well trained or she doesn't have a quote-unquote fighting style as long as she's got that really strong power behind it. Like, you know, so, no, they didn't show her, they don't portray her as fighting like a skilled, trained combatant, but they show the effects of her power. And in that scene, the effect was, you know, maxing out the meter on the on the punch thing. Now, I suppose what I would have preferred to see is her, like, breaking the machine or, or moving it, but, you know, I don't know, maybe, like, maybe she's not that strong. Maybe she's, like... You know, top end of human capability, you know, or beyond that in strength, but well, obviously way beyond that because they show her jumping up several stories, uh, you know, up a building, up a fire escape. But the bottom line is they want to show the power, but they don't want to portray her as a skilled fighter. Like all of her success at combat is going to purely rely on the strength aspect and not on kind of training experience. And as you watch this, this show, uh, they're going to develop her character more and they're going to sort of explain her dabbling in being a superhero. And, you know, that's actually part of the whole Kilgrave storyline that I don't want to spoil for anyone. But, you know, the idea is that she's not someone like Captain America or Spider-Man or Iron Man or Hulk or Thor or, you know, in a sense, even Luke Cage in that she doesn't really like she's got her one thing she's got her one shtick and it's pretty good and she wants to use it for powers of good but there's no training there's no organization there's no kind of experience behind it it's like okay i'm really strong i'm gonna i feel obligated 
you know, or morally compelled to use this power for good, but I really don't know how I'm going to do it, or I really don't know how to effectively do things. I just sort of wing it in every scenario. And there's a certain charm to that. And I think that's part of the allure to the Jessica Jones character. There was another scene that I just remembered. Uh, it was episode two or three. It was the episode where Trish is learning the Krav Maga martial arts. And uh, Jessica Jones comes to visit her and shows her her little private training room and hip throws her. <laughs> and she just goes down like a sack of mice. Right. right. Uh, I mean, was it, are we to believe that she just didn't resist it at all just just because, like, her friend was doing it and she had no reason to resist it? I mean, I, Maybe. I would have to think, like, if I had super strength and somebody went to hip throw me under any scenario, I would just say no and not budge, but whatever. Well, certainly she was not on the defensive. Trish totally blindsided her. So that said, I think the rest of your criticism here, uh, we're going to have to begin to start talking physics and momentum and inertia and, you know, think about all that kind of thing. Like, how much does strength play into resisting uh, certain martial arts techniques as opposed to mass or as opposed to posture? Well, we saw her stop an oncoming car with her palm right when she was dressed up as the sandwich and the little kid was in the stream was in the middle of the street and almost got ran over okay so that leads me to believe that if she could do that trying she could stop somebody from giving her a hip toss without even thinking about it but maybe i'm wrong i mean it is fantasy of course so whatever yeah and again even that scene uh, you know does having strength convey inertia or momentum or resistance to inertia and momentum and i mean physically the answer is no it doesn't that mass Mass and friction in that scenario are going to be the scientific factors that matter most. Uh, so I am forced to dispel, you know, the disbelief in that scene where she stops the car and accept that it's her strength. So I suppose you're right. If I'm going to have to go with that same suspension of disbelief for the car, I'm going to have to go with it that she'd be able to prevent Trish from giving her the hip throw. And I guess I'm going to have to just say it was a matter of surprise. But you're bringing up an in interesting notion here. And that is that Trish uh, is focusing on learning the Krav Maga martial arts technique. And it's got, got to have you wondering, like, now what if what if Jessica Jones would put the time and energy with her super strength to learning, a, you know, some kind of organized, efficient, effective martial arts techniques? How much better she would be if she had some, for lack of a better word, training and style behind it. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess I'm with you there, you know. And, and by the way, that was sort of the scene that made me think that maybe Trish is going to become something more than just, uh, I guess, normal girl. Um, but, you know, let's wait and watch and, and see how it pans out. Well, I mean, I guess bottom line is we're both enjoying it. We're both watching it. Um, we both probably will watch season two if they make one, right? So, I don't know. Other than that, is there anything else you want to add to this discussion? Or yes. should we move on? Yes. It was the... I, I almost got distracted from it. But when you mentioned the scene where Jessica Jones gets ambushed by these two normal people that just kind of have it out for enhanced people. And that was, that oh, was yeah. really just it. And this ties into what we were talking about with the whole Marvel Civil War storyline. And how I'm seeing evidence of the, I don't know, ambient sort of feeling, sentiment towards uh, superpowered individuals throughout the Marvel Universe. So not only is it a major driving force in the plot line for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we also see it come up in the, the more recent Avenger movie in terms of Sokovia falling from the sky and everything happening there. But my point is that 
we're also seeing it even now in the Jessica Jones storyline. Like, there's this ambient thing where there's essentially vigilantes because people have it out for superpowered individuals. The overarching sentiment towards people with superheroes is not necessarily one of being grateful and wonder and amazement. And now, kind of like the weird thing is now this has nothing to do with it in terms of the story. But it's also seems to be part of what's behind the Superman versus Batman uh, movie coming up too, right? Yeah, I mean, from that trailer we saw the what what did what did they do like to face the statue and to write false god on it or something? Like, there's obviously people that are unhappy with Superman. But you know, this actually brings up a point that I find ironic. You know, we're getting into this era, I guess, of Marvel movies, Civil War and whatnot, where as you pointed out, whether it's in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show or even in this Jessica Jones show, they're they're exploring that that storyline. So, so the, the ironic thing is that storyline has existed in the X-Men universe forever. Like, that, like the X-Men was always a corollary to racism in that nobody liked mutants. But really, what was the difference between a mutant and, I don't know, the Incredible Hulk or Iron Man or, or Spider-Man or any other hero that wasn't born with their powers and accidentally got them? So it's kind of funny how they're bringing that into the current stories when, you know, they've always been there in the X-Men universe. You know, probably the thing that occurs to me is, and I, I hate to bring, I hate to mention this guy's name because I, I have a, I have a personal dislike for him, but it sort of justifies this whole backdrop of, of the storyline where heroes aren't necessarily embraced as heroes, that they're, by some people, they're resented. And I think we have a lot more concrete reasons to, to point to in the Marvel universe, etc. But l- look at Tom Brady. I mean, to a lot of people, he's a hero, right? He's a he's a, a living, breathing hero. You know, anybody that's a football fan, particularly if you're a, a Patriots fan, and I say that with a little bit of gag in the back of my throat, um, you know, he's a hero, but some of us love to hate the heroes. You know, some of us love to resent them for their beautiful wives and their riches and their success and their the, the degree to which they excel at their craft or their sport or whatever. And we have this sentiment where you know we uh, you know people read tabloids people follow these sort of storylines where we're pleased when bad things happen to successful people and i wonder if on some level it's just playing that and amplifying it uh, according to the degree of their success and power yeah that makes a lot of sense i'm sure it has something to do with it and again like you know like i mentioned in the, the x-men storyline i always found it just be a straight corollary to racism i mean it's not you know to do with actual race or skin color or anything and it has to do with more on a genetic level like humans versus or you know homo sapiens versus homo superior or whatever but you know effectively i like i said i always just saw it as as like a sideline story to racism told in a comic book form yeah i I mean that's a common thing in a a lot of comics i think and i don't mean this specifically that with the racism but drawing upon real world um I don't know, real world problems, real world issues, real world uh, ideologies and stuff and making parallels. And, uh, you know, it's also hard for me to not draw the comparison between the whole WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden thing and the Marvel Civil War story in a way in that you have these two camps like the one, you know, uh, I, I don't know, really know how to describe it. Maybe nationalistic or overly protective like here, let's put it this way. The argument that security and freedom are mutually exclusive in some sense. And I see that in the Civil War storyline. I feel like they're playing upon current events and current issues 
and twisting them into the story. And I don't want to attach any negativity to that. I think it's uh, potentially wonderfully done. And it's it can both add to a social and cultural awareness as well as tell a good story in the context of these heroes. And like the weird thing is like the, the number one exploiter of that sort of storytelling mechanism to me was always the original series Star Trek. Like the original series Star Trek, it seemed like at some point for like every episode was making some kind of allusion to, you know, 60s counterculture and the change, uh, changing of the guard, so to speak, from the, from the 1960s into, you know, 70s and beyond. So, I, so, so what, what, when, with the episode, uh, with the little fluffy tribbles, what, what corollary was that one? Then? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not sure. I suppose, I suppose you could, you know, hunger and, and feeding the world kind of thing was always a, a big issue there. But no, I mean, I'm thinking of the, uh, I don't know, like the episode, and I forget the race. I mean, I'm not that much of a Star Trek nerd, but I, I definitely have seen all the uh, episodes. But there were two sets of people uh, on this planet, and they were all half visually, and their coloration was literally down a line, right down the middle of their bodies, was half white and half black, except they exhibited prejudice against each other based on which side was black and which side was white. And it really just played into the like, wow, this is so stupid kind of thing. How do people, how do people pay attention to that? Uh, and it made a really wonderful uh, allegory to real world racism and that. But yeah, I, I think uh, Star Trek was fraught with that kind of thing, and I'm sure a lot of other storytelling techniques rely on it. And it could be campy, and it could be cliche and cheeky, and it could be well done. And I think in the Mar- with Marvel's case, uh, specifically with Civil War, I think it's not quite as transparent as that and therefore it's uh, i guess a little bit more uh, i i don't know respectful to the savvy viewer but either way I, th- I think it's great anyway i mean we started off mentioning that we were going to talk about the walking dead season finale today and uh lo and behold i think we've gone uh, quite a bit of time just talking about these two things in marvel so uh, I'm going to propose that we put the Walking Dead season finale discussion on hold. And I don't think it's the end of the world to, de- to delay it because it only just happened. And uh, maybe some people want to catch up before we really go nitty gritty in depth on that. And maybe just devote an entire episode to talking about that. What do you think, Guy? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Certainly we can't fit it into this episode so we could maybe just do a special one that's just that i think there's plenty to talk about because uh we haven't talked about it for three weeks i guess so we're going to be talking about the last two episodes i think at least in part sure sure but you know mostly dwelling on uh what happened in the last episode and maybe where we expect things to go based on reading the comics because there were a number of hints dropped at the uh end of that episode uh, and just as a quick aside, to give a little bit of time to The Walking Dead, in case you ha- haven't seen it, and neither of us noticed it the first time, is apparently there was a post credit scene that uh, introduces sort of the next half-season uh, story uh, moving forward. And we'll talk more about that, but we, we had both missed it. And in case you're watching The Walking Dead and you're up to date, you may want to look into watching that because, uh, I mean, it wasn't huge, but it does give you an indication as where the series is heading. Yeah, that was on my talking points list for the discussion of the show, and for sure everyone should go watch that before they listen to our Walking Dead episode, because we're going to bring it up. Yeah, anyway, so when we do get to Walking Dead, that will be a spoiler-rich episode, uh, and maybe we can make the entire episode about it and just, 
unfortunately let people skip it, you know, the, our entire podcast in the event that they haven't seen it. And I don't think we really introduced any major spoilers in today's. So uh, is that it for today? Is that a wrap? Yeah, I think so. Till next time. Thanks. <laughs>